The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host. So glad you decided to join us again this week. And this is a really unique episode. I'm actually sitting here with my friend Nick Galetti, host of the LDS Mission Cast, the new podcast. Nick was a guest a few weeks ago. If you have not listened to that yet, I highly recommend it. Nick's a fascinating guy. And we are actually sitting in a hotel room in Orlando, Florida. Such a crazy story. This will be a unique episode. What happened was I was supposed to be home this weekend. I was in San Diego and then I was in New York, was supposed to fly home, and I had uh, something come up with business that I had to come out to Florida. And that left me without a show. I didn't have any of my recording equipment with me. I uh, tried kind of cobbling some things together. I had a great guest lined up that I was going to interview over Skype, but I just didn't have the right equipment and the sound quality was going to be bad. We were actually going to go our first week since we started without a show. And then it hit me. I called up Nick and I said, Nick, you've got some great interviews that you've aired. What if we air one of your interviews for our show? And Nick said, great. And I said, yeah, but you're going to have to really record the the opening and the closing because I don't have equipment and I'm going to be in Orlando. And Nick said, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to be in Orlando and I will have my equipment. So I'm actually recording on Nick's equipment right now. So thank you again to Nick Galetti. This is an interview he did a few weeks ago. You may be aware there is a new Meet the Mormons out and it is fantastic. And he got a chance to interview Danny Sorensen, Blair True and Jenna Kim Jones, all about the new Meet the Mormons and a little bit of Meet the Mormons history. It's an interview I enjoy thoroughly, and I know you will too. And again, if you're not listening to LDS Mission Cast, go check it out. It's for everyone, but especially those who just love missionary work. And later on in the My Latter-day Life section, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, being an outcast at church. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation with Nick Galetti. All right, we're here with our very special guest. We have Blair True, who is the writer and director of Meet the Mormons and a few other church videos that we'll get into later. We have Jenna Kim Jones, who is the host slash, I don't know, guide for sure. Meet the Mormons. And then we have Danny Sorensen, who is the featured Mormon, if you will, from this latest Meet the Mormons vignette. So welcome, guys. Thank you for being on. Great to be here. Very appreciative. So let's uh, let's start in that kind of order. Um, Blair, you've been kind of involved with church videos for quite some time. It's been a while. Yeah. In fact, I wanted to ask you specifically about the called to serve video. Oh, my word. That's... That was mid-18 or 1980s? Yeah, it feels like the 18-something. 18 1890s. <laughs> <laughs> they were chiseling stones. Uh, uh, yeah, it was 90... F- when was that? It had to have been 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was late 80s, actually. Yeah, yeah well, the was. people in it looked very 80s. Yeah, I think it was like 86, 87. Yeah. How, how early in your career was that one? I was pretty fresh off the boat at yeah. that point. I mean, I'd been 
I had graduated and had gone and you know, left for fame and fortune, which of course did not come. In Hollywood, I worked at Disney for a while and then uh, you know, was working there and then came back and directed that for uh, the missionary department. Yeah. It was, a, it was a documentary, so it didn't have a, a script. So in many regards, it was kind of like Meet the Mormons, I guess. We just followed missionaries around. It kind of felt the same way in a very yeah. different time, but yeah. 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 And actually, it was really funny for me because I decided to go back and watch it. It's been a while. But I realized that that had a lot of um, impact on my perception of what a mission really was going to be. Well, good. I mean, the whole point, I mean, that, as I recall, the focus of that was to help um, young boys like 12 to 16 consider at an earlier age and start thinking about missions. Yeah. And start preparing and start thinking, I wonder what missionary life is like. What am I going to be dealing with when I get out there? Yeah. And uh, so if that's what you were feeling... Bravo. Yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah, I think so. And, and we want them to come away with like, hey, I'd like to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, but it didn't I hurt my want, chances, that's for sure. Yeah, no one I didn't look me. at it that way. But uh, So you've been producing and writing and directing these Meet the Mormon segments, and I'm curious, now that we transition over to Jenna, how was Jenna chosen as the voice, the narrator, if you will? Well, is that for her or for me? You Both. You, you, you start. first. Yeah, well, you start. I love hearing it, so you start. No, <laughs> <laughs> Well, aside from the fact that she's gorgeous and beautiful mm. and all that. Okay. Oh, wow. Well, there's just a really great... It, it, the thing that attracted us to Jen in the first place was that she just has this really fun, very approachable, girl-next-door quality. And when you see her on the screen, that really is who she is. I mean, she's... You know, I'm, I don't mean to embarrass her here, but she's she's just, <laughs> just approachable. She's her. sweet. Okay. She's I need it. cute as can be, and she's just... People love to talk to her. And if you walked up to her in the street and you saw her smile at you, you know, wouldn't you want to talk to her? You know, so uh, when I learned a little bit about her, uh, that she had done some stand-up and and I was looking for somebody that would be really good to walk around the streets of New York and approach people and ask them a simple question. You know, what do you know about the Mormons, if anything, and and be able to banter back and forth with them in a very non-threatening way. And so we were looking for that right person. I think I had seen a spot that was done on Jenna on the, uh, was it the Island Mormon mm-hmm. campaign? Yeah. And so well, I saw that. that. Okay. Mm-hmm. That came out well before that. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I'd seen that, and then I went and watched her do stand-up, and then I went down. She was working at The Daily Show at the time with Jon Stewart, and we we went and had some pizza or something. Yeah. We talked, yeah. and uh, I just asked her about, you know, things, and we got to talking, and I just felt like we ought to seriously consider having her be the person that asks these questions of New Yorkers as they pass left and right. And not get confused with Elizabeth Smart in the meantime. Oh, exactly. All the time, you guys. All the time. It could be worse because she's, she's such a sweetheart. Oh, she's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, I have no problem with someone. it. Absolutely. She's like, to me, an inspiration. But yeah. I always feel bad for, it's really a letdown for everyone else is the problem. <laughs> the, oh. Oh. Oh, you're not her. Never mind. <laughs> so this project comes to you. Yes. The, the Meet the Mormons Project. And your history is you came from, you were born in Korea. I have a, yeah, I kind of have a weird life. I grew up in Korea till I was about eight and then moved to Utah. And I then did school here, went to high school. And when I graduated from high school, I left and went to New York City at 18 and went to school out there and then ended up working in TV. I My first job, well, actually... 
technically my first job out of college was at the Daily Show. There were about there was like a month when I was very unemployed and didn't have a lot of money, so I did work at J Crew for about a week nice. until the Daily Show called me. I had to do something, <laughs> um, so they called me and hired me, and I ended up working there and loved it. And it was such a unique experience. I started doing stand up there. People at the show didn't really know what to think of me as far as I'm a Mormon comedian who works at The Daily Show, which is sort of unusual anyway, and who has these values and standards. And I don't think a lot of people knew what to make me, so much so that they used to tease me that I was sort of like a unicorn in the office. They didn't really believe I existed, but they liked having me around, so... (laughs) But I, yeah, so that's kind of my background just in a really short little, yeah. uh, when I met Blair, I hadn't even met my husband yet. And since the, since meeting him, I met my husband around the same time I got married. I've had two kids. I've made a couple cross country moves. So I'm actually not even in New York anymore, Right. but I've gotten to sort of tag along on this project and do these help. I feel like I get to help tell the story in a really small way and it's kind of a, cool honor for me I, I i'm excited to be part of it and every time blair's called with a new story i'm just so pumped and amped. So, hey we're coming Let's yeah do this. i just love it and we've spent a lot of time together now so i really i love blair and i look up to him and it's been a really cool experience Very cool. how did they find out you were mormon did you like wear a t-shirt at the show yeah. oh well when you work in tv it is like you kind of live in tv um they know you you our hours were long and you just kind of get to know your coworkers really well and it i mean it came out very naturally as far as i never cursed which was unusual and at one point <laughs> my job was to actually time code all the swear words on the show which there were quite a few <laughs> and so i would write down these swear words but i would write down an alternate word And so all my coworkers would start like, whoa, what's this word? You know, and like I would, (laughs) because I just was so adamant, like, that's not who I am. I'm not going to say those words. I'm not, I love working here. I love you guys. You know, I, I just can't participate in that aspect of it. But so they all knew that I was different. And so it came out very quickly. And then of course, at the time when I was working at Daily Show, Mitt Romney was running for president, which was a very um, intense time. And I have to say there were a lot of, kind of crazy moments where I was like explaining who Moroni was because they would go, who's this Moroni that you, that's in your book of Mormon? You he know? sounds Italian. <laughs> so there, I had a lot of cool experiences that I think helped actually prepare me for Meet the Mormons and to feel so comfortable with my faith among people who didn't know anything about it. That was Perhaps important. That was mm-hmm. absolutely important to mention. Yeah. Kind of came out in our early discussions. Okay, mm-hmm. she can relate with with people. Yeah. yeah. Well, and New Yorkers, which right. are their own breed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I have some more questions later, but we're going to switch over to Danny now, who is arguably the star of this. I, I say arguably because there's a point in the story that I think your daughter almost barely steals the show. I, I think that Jennifer's story is what makes the whole story valuable. It's, it is a beautiful story. It is. So I got to watch a showing of it last night, so I have to admit that it's going to be a little difficult to tell your story without telling your story. So... <laughs> So we're, we're going to try and walk that line a little bit and tell some stuff that maybe doesn't come out as strongly. You are, amongst other things, and the, the main arc, I guess you could say, has to do with your love of flying. 
yes. being a pilot. Yes. When did that start? The love of flying started when I was, I don't know, as far back as I can remember, four or five years old. Uh, my dad was a pilot in the Navy, enlisted in the Navy to, you know, to be a fighter pilot during World War II. And I uh, didn't fly much after the war because my mother didn't like it. And then he got back into it in 1964 when I was 14. So I got to start flying with my dad as he would fly on business trips or just taking the family for a ride. And uh, I got to handle the airplane a lot. And then I started flying lessons when I was 17. Wow. And uh, I got my license at 18. I read somewhere that you were able to pick up a certain maneuver, a slow roll of some kind, by reading a magazine article. Yeah, there was a magazine article. I don't remember the exact magazine, but one of the very popular airshow pilots of the day had written, and had the little diagrams that showed you where to, where to put the control stick and the rudders and the elevators and ailerons. And, and so I read that, and I used to, I worked down at Sky Park. I was a line boy down there, which means I gassed up airplanes and swept the hangar and emptied the trash and cleaned the toilet and stuff like that. So uh, I read this magazine, and after work, at 8 o'clock, when we closed the airport down, I would go out and sit in an airplane, and I would close my eyes, and I would visually go through this maneuver, and I did that hundreds of times. And then one day, uh, I talked a friend of mine into going up with me, and said, let's do this, and we went up, and I, I was able to pull it off. And slow roll is, uh, is a key to, to just about every other aerobatic maneuver. Oh, okay. And if you can figure the slow roll out, the rest of them are going to come pretty easy. And I figured it out, and I didn't kill myself. <laughs> or, the, or your passenger. <laughs> no one fell out. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, we went through the, the story last night, and I went into it not having any kind of preconceived notions as to what the story was, because I hadn't really heard much other than a pilot. But one of the big things that changed your life was becoming a fireman, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the the piloting business wasn't as lucrative as you were hoping. Nobody makes a full time living. <coughs> there, there might be you might count on two hands, maybe not even all your fingers, the number of people that survive as uh, full time airshow pilots. Uh, all of those guys are airline pilots and doctors and dentists and advertising agents, and they've all got something else that they do. Yeah. And as a kid, I didn't know that. You know, I thought, geez, you make this much money doing that for fun, <laughs> you know, but I didn't realize the investment that it would take in equipment, you know, you're a dumb kid, you don't know anything about uh, all the backstory of what everybody does, and so, yeah, that wasn't just, wasn't going to be a reality, so I took a job with Salt Lake City Fire Department in 1985, and, and did that for almost 31 years, Yeah, which really turned out to be the absolute perfect career for me. I'm not a desk guy. I worked at a desk in a, at a construction company doing estimating for four years before that. And the eight weeks of recruit school was the toughest eight weeks I've ever had in my life. And it was also the most fun that I had ever had in the last 15 or 16 years. Yeah. I really loved that job. It was just tremendous. Well, now, I, I originally, when I heard that you were uh, essentially a daredevil pilot of sorts i mean you you're doing all these crazy stunts you're not the airline pilot that's just trying to get there smooth you're all over the place and then you're a firefighter i got the impression that you were a bit of an adrenaline junkie perhaps and so when i saw the film and i saw you going backwards up the fireman pole and all this stuff i was like man this guy's just got so much energy and and vitality not an adrenaline junkie at all. <laughs> okay. In fact, quite the opposite. Everything that I have done in my flying 
I have tried to do as safely as I possibly could. Oh, sure. When uh, other of my friends were out just breaking the rules and flying under bridges and power lines and stuff, I wasn't doing that. Not that I wasn't doing aerobatics down low as a teenager. I was, but but I've always been very careful about that and uh, and tried to calculate every risk that I was going to take. And I've done the same thing in uh, in the firefighting. Yeah. You you also built your own plane. Well, two of them. But the one that you currently have is the one that's shown for the most part in, in the feature. I got to say, I, it's not a very common thing for people to just up and build a plane. It's a very rare thing. About, uh, Especially largely by themselves. Yeah, yeah. About 11 or 12% of the entire general aviation fleet in the United States is home-built airplanes. Really? But I would say 99% of those are built from kits. Okay. And uh, the percentage of people that design and build their own airplanes is just, it's so rare today and it's vanishing. People aren't interested in that. They're not interested in the amount of work that it takes to prepare to to make your own drawings. Even if you buy plans, nobody nobody, uh, builds other than from a kit. Yeah. Uh, So it's, it's very rare, but it's the only way. I just, I don't see myself ever building a kit. It's cheating to me. I mean, I've, I've, I've got a lot of I can't even build a kit. And they've built beautiful, beautiful airplanes. But for me, for Danny Sorensen, that's cheating. I like I like to design and build them myself. You see, I can't even build a model airplane. Probably. <laughs> one of the parallels that you tell in the story, I think, is really quite beautiful, and I'd love it if if we could give one last tease on the story of of how building the plane helped you kind of feel more closer to God or to understand his role in a different way. Well, God is the great creator. He created everything. And, and here on earth, we create things. You know, we create families and, and children and grandchildren. That's our, you know, our progeny that goes on down. And I think God wants us to be creators. He wants us to learn how to create. Not that everybody needs to build anything, but we need to create some beautiful lives and, and uh, raise our children with a belief in God and understanding the nature of God and, and how he relates to everything we do. God is interested in, in the most minute detail of our lives. I mean, many times I went down to the hangar with, to work on that airplane and I had problems that just vexed me for one, one problem I had for two weeks. And I just could not figure out how to answer this problem. And I went to the hangar one day and I said, Heavenly Father, what am I going to do about this? And the answer came into my head so instant, and I went, whap, slapped myself on the forehead. Now, why didn't I think of that before? And, and that happened so many times where I would lose something if Jennifer didn't find it. Yeah. I, would, I would pray, and I'd say, Heavenly Father, this little thing doesn't mean very much in the overall scheme of things, but right now, this is very important to me. Would you please help me find it? And boom, you know, sometimes it was the next day, sometimes it was in 20 seconds I had it in my hand. Yeah, that was just amazing. So, and then, and then to relate that, all of all of everything that that airplane is built of came out of God's creation. The trees that grew to make the wood, and the and the the ore that was mined to make the steel and the aluminum, and the rubber for the tires. All of that comes out of nature. I just it blows my mind that nature creates the kind of stuff that we can build something <coughs> like that. You think about an airliner. Goodness sakes. That Huge, is a complex piece of machinery. Yeah, and uh, I never get on an airliner, but what I'm not—I I see the hand of God on, on any airplane. I get in the air, I see the hand of God in everything. I really do, and I also thank Jimmy Doolittle for inventing instrument flying, 
so that those airliners can go through the weather. Those distances and yeah. Speeds yeah. And get us where we need to go. Yeah. And so, Blair, you you are both a pilot, far mm-hmm. far less experienced from what oh, I gather. I, I'm not even on the scale compared to Danny. I'm just, I mean, I have a little <laughs> card that says I'm a pilot, you know, and I've got some time and, and I've flown around a little bit, done some cross countries and been flying for about 15 years, but Danny's the pilot. Yeah. I just go from point A to point B. <laughs> So I, I I couldn't help but want to ask this question: Is Elder Uchtdorf like your favorite apostle because you're pilots? <laughs> Do you just get some more of his analogies than than the average? Well, I I don't know if we're supposed to have favorites, but you know I'll tell you, <laughs> he's certainly up there, and I love listening to his stories. And I think along the same lines of what Danny just said, I think when you you know something a little bit more about a topic, you appreciate it more. And so yeah, when he shares those stories, they they have a little more meaning for me. Yeah. And, and I've, I can think of so many things that are analogous to life and the gospel of Jesus Christ as it relates to piloting an aircraft. And I love him when he comes out with those. And I've got, you know, I'm sure Danny has a ton of them. Uh, I've got a few of my own. So we yeah. could go on all day about that. But. Well, I wanted to kind of get a peek, if we could, into maybe your favorite scene that didn't make the cut. Is there hmm. something that didn't make it and, and what? Well, there is a sequence. It was one of the last to be cut out. There's a, there's a whole lot. When, you, when you're shooting a documentary film, you have a lot of ideas going in. You have only so many days in which to work because every, every person that you, you bring into the project and equipment that you bring to bear in a project costs X amount of money. And so you're trying to pack as many different thematic elements as you can without doing so many that you do harm to all of them because you're trying to underscore everything. Right. But there was a section where that's not in the film. So, hey, we're not going to spoil this one because it's not in the film. <laughs> where, where Danny has a big tree in his front yard. And it's been the family tree. It's been in the, in the yard. How long has that tree been there? We moved in in, in 76, and the tree was planted in 53. So how, wow. how big did it grow when, right before you guys decided it was time to... It, it had lived its full mature life, and it was beginning to rot. And, it was about two and a half feet in diameter through the central part of the trunk. So wow. it's a big tree, and, and the idea that Danny's son was Tyler, right? So they cut this tree. Ty, Tyler thought that he could, hey, Dad, if I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Danny, but Dad, can I have the wood in this tree? And I'll, I'll go ahead and pay to have it cut down, and I'll, I'll take it out, and we'll clean up the hole, clean up the yard. And it was only supposed to be like a two- or three-week project. Two years later, it still hadn't been complete. So when we arrived at Danny's house to film, the, one of the first questions that I had for Danny was, tell me about this tree. <laughs> Because it was a, it had, it was a big gaping hole in the front yard, and so, but I just love the whole idea of, of, yeah, it didn't go as planned, and Tyler, Danny's son, had taken the material from this tree and created some wonderful, like a chair. I mean, we're talking really high level craftsmanship, chairs, wooden toys, that have come back into full use in the family. So there's, there's part of the family was in that tree when it was a living thing, and now it resides still with the family in, in a form of another object. You know, and you, you talk about, Danny talks about, you know, he crafted the wood, uh, shaped and crafted the, the wood in the wings. And those, came, what type of wood was that? Sitka spruce. Yeah. Very, very tall, straight growing, mm. straight grain tree. And so I just love the whole idea that, that Danny had passed along this idea of craftsmanship to his children. And that was a key player in the story right up until it wasn't. <laughs> right up until we cut it out because of just time. You know, we, yeah. the story's 22 minutes long, and they're really supposed to be more like 20, but we extended it because it was so good, and those flying sequences are so fun. But, so that was one of the things that didn't make the cut. Yeah. 
Well, it reinforces the title of it, right? Yeah. The Craftsman. Yeah. And and that theme is definitely felt in different ways. And and so that's that's great. Uh, did you have one? Did you have a story that they filmed and well, got you know cut? What? It all ran together. <laughs> the whole thing was an out-of-body experience, and I don't have a clue what they've got and what they don't. And <laughs> what's on this. I mean, we sat there in uh, Lynn and my, and my wife, you know, my wife, we sat in our living room and had a four-hour interview, I think it was, from 10 to 2, and they've used, I don't know, maybe... You're talking about the interview? Yeah, 45 yeah. seconds of that interview. And, and, you know, <laughs> there's so much... Yeah, they just can't get it all in. So I, I couldn't say, but it, you know, all of the flying was was just wonderful to go out and film. I love formation flying, and the stuff that we did with Barry, the other pilot that you see near the end, was just so fun. And Barry contacted me, and he wants to get together and do some formation work. So Great, I want to ride in the back seat yeah. <laughs> or front seat. How are you feeling about this? I guess virgining fame that's kind of coming out of this project. There's no fame here for me. It's, uh, you know, Alain said she thinks this is this is our mission. You know, we're uh, with, with Jennifer. We're not going to be able to do a full time mission like we had planned on when our kids were young. It's just, yeah. it's just not going to happen. And so this is just our mission to to help spread the gospel. And uh, and even if we don't spread the gospel, spread. Um, a love for families and, and children and, and raising kids and be accountable and good citizens. That's awesome. Yeah, we kind of teased the whole Jennifer story a little bit. I, I'm almost curious if we can even go into it at all without giving some of it away. Well, it'd probably be good to just, just say it's worth. Yeah, it's, it's worth to see. It's worth, worth the price of admission. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what? Where is this going to be shown? Well, initially it's shown. It opens uh, tomorrow, Saturday, uh, in the Legacy Theater. And it's a, it's it like its predecessors are, is a standalone story, so it's in rotation with the other stories. You know, the coach, the humanitarian, the missionary mom, the fight. You know, all those stories. How many do we have? Eleven, twelve of them now, and and they're in rotation. This one's going to be playing more frequently throughout the day because it's newer, mm-hmm. and people now are interested in seeing the newer stories. So it plays, I think, four or five times throughout the day in the, within the rotation of stories in the Legacy Theater, downtown Temple Square, in the Joseph Smith Memorial Building, the old Hotel Utah. And that's where all the, you know, the big films that the church has produced, that's where they've traditionally played over the last, you know, 20-something right. years. And then it will go from there uh, in the coming week or two. It will then be made available uh, on a paper, not pay-per-view, but on a uh, on-demand. <laughs> That'd be fun. Pay-per-view <laughs> in a church, uh, <laughs> church-run facility. But no, it's on-demand. So they can go into any other visitor center. So Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles or anywhere there's a, a temple visitor center. This film will be in rotation or be available to be played on kind of an on-demand basis in Got those it. venues in English only initially in the coming weeks. And I'm not sure. I, I want to say typically they like to get them out in, in in a week or two from when they play in the Legacy. It just takes a while to get the technology out of the other theaters. Sure. What kind of impact has this had on missionary efforts, the whole Meet the Mormons franchise? Boy, that's that's a really tough question because it's so difficult to quantify. We hear all kinds of stories, all kinds, hundreds of stories from missionaries who were working with someone and they just, they felt, you know, if I can show them one sequence or if I show them the original Meet the Mormons, they've, missionaries as well as members have learned that it's, it's a great non-threatening way to introduce somebody to who we are, what makes us tick. And, it, and it's, and like I said, it's non-threatening. It's kind of like 
like Jenna, you know, she's, she's approachable. She's non-threatening. <laughs> and so it's, it's, uh, that's, and, and all the stories, I mean, the, by design, the whole purpose of meeting the Mormons is to give members a tool to use with their non-member friends mm-hmm. yeah. and not feel like, so they don't feel like they're being preached to. Who wants to be preached to? And I, I mean, it works. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a lot of friends who are not members of the church who went to see this movie because I, you know, I said, oh, I'm, I'm in it. You should go watch it. It's going to be, you know, it's really fun. It's really interesting. There's so many cool stories. And I have friends who come to me and say, you know, the, the candy bomber story just have rocked my world. I had no yeah. idea that it's that really was fun a because, thing. because nobody has a, I mean, people have a favorite. Everybody has a favorite. Right. 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 But there is not one story that's an outstanding favorite. Right. And we had hoped that they would all be on a par with each other so that we would feel like there's a little something from ev- for everybody. And in certain areas of the country, the bishop oh, is the favorite. Yeah. Other areas. Yeah. Other households, the, it's the candy bomber. Other, it's oh, it's the navy coach by we, far. Right, Others, it's right. and and now some people came up to me last night who'd seen all the stories, and it was gratifying to say, "What's your favorite?" And they say, "Oh, I love the craftsman." <laughs> and so our goal has been from the outset to make sure that because we set the bar kind of high on the original stories, there's high, pretty good production value and they're pretty epic in nature. Mm-hmm. And we just said whatever we produce, we want to just make sure that they, that the new stories are at least as good as the originals. Now, that's for other people to decide if they're as good. Sure. But, the, but the anecdotal evidence that we're getting is that they actually like the new stories better. Now, I think a lot of that, in fairness, is because they're new. Right. But I think it's safe to say that they are at least as good as the originals. Oh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I've had friends who who will let missionaries in their home now because they saw the movie. Oh. Because they feel comfortable. Because they go, oh, well, I know I can just invite them in, give them some water, and talk to them, and I know what you guys are and, and what that it's means. It's non-threatening. And, yeah, and, and I, I do think that the mission of the movie really worked. I, I you know, genuinely it, do, yeah. It, this Hopefully this goes to your question, but initially when the first movie came out, it was not intended to be released in theaters. It was going to be released in the Legacy Theater and other visitor center theaters. Okay. But a firm in Los Angeles who was cutting the trailer for us after the movie was pretty much locked up and pretty much done, they also test movies, and they said, you know, this is really good. And, I, and I was, of course, I, well, you're being very kind. You're working for us, so you're going to say it's good. No, no, seriously. I mean, our, our, our whole staff has watched this movie, and they cry, and they love it. Oh, that's nice, and I still kind of, you know, maybe they just think we're soft-hearted, and, you know, we're Mormons, <laughs> so they got to be nice to us. And, and, and I, I think they could sense that I was still kind of writing off their, you know, in a self-deprecating way. Well, it's nice, but, you know, but you guys do the big Hollywood movies. And they said, you need to release this theatrically. And I, in essence, said, are you nuts? This is a religious documentary. People are not going to pay money yeah. to see this movie. They said they will. And we should test it. And they convinced us to test it and let them do the testing. And what was interesting is they tested it in eight different markets, major markets throughout the United States. These are paid audience screenings. So somebody approaches you in a shopping mall and says, hey, do you want to participate in a focus group in a new movie? Yeah. And th- so they take it out there. So you think, well, people are going to say nice things about a movie when you just paid me 100 bucks to watch it, right? Mm, I don't know about that. But what happens is they, what they do is that gets them into the theater, and they usually do 60 to 100 people to, to test the movie. And then they watch the movie, and then they have the option at the end of the movie to walk out. Actually, they have the option to walk out after five minutes if they want. Oh. And in eight different markets, we had zero walkouts. And that just That's kind of unbelievable. That yeah. doesn't yeah. happen. That doesn't happen, <laughs> especially for a documentary. It doesn't yeah. right. a religious. And so the numbers. So we did focus group, and and people in these focus groups were saying things literally like, you know, 
I was really rude to these missionaries just last week. They mm. came to my door, and I feel so bad. I I hope they come back because I would never do that. I'm going to let them in. And I mean, they were saying things that we could have couldn't have scripted them mm-hmm. to say any better. And we almost didn't. We brought these comments back to Salt Lake, and we played them. And the brethren looked at them, and they said, "Well, let's release it theatrically." Yeah. And didn't it say something? I think there was part of her narration at the beginning said something about it being the top thirty-five. Yeah, we say we say thirty-five just to be safe because you know it's always going to change a little bit. It's yeah. actually in the top thirty. Okay, but um, yeah, in the, in, the, in its opening weekend, it was in the top ten in all categories. I mean, it was number one documentary, of course, but I mean, it was in the top ten, and it was released against all the other big movies of the day, and remained there for a few weeks. And then within three weeks, it had climbed to to number thirty on the all-time highest-grossing. Documentary. documentary and that's that's out of half a million documentaries that have been made yeah. since the late it's like it's like Justin Bieber, a couple other pop stars meet the Mormons. Yeah, it's it's really very it's really, it's really, it's really bizarre. bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Kind of an anom- <laughs> it's probably the number one religious. <laughs> or in the yeah, top five. I mean, yeah. Possibly yeah. Yeah. And it was a it was a really it kind of developed a life of its own by the time <laughs> it was into week three and four. And yeah. of course all the proceeds. The church isn't in the movie business, so all right. the proceeds after of course the exhibitors were paid and Right. And all that marketing costs uh, went to the American Red Cross, so they donated that. Oh, money. I didn't know that. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. cool. So it was fun mm-hmm. to be there when they handed that big check to those guys. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. And Danny, you're now part of that. Welcome to the family. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the family. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for coming in and talking about it. And we want to encourage everybody to go out and see it where they can. Um, is There's a website, though, that they can go and get more information about it. Yes, there. If if you navigate to the Temple Square webpage, um, you might have to dig a little bit, but uh, I'm not sure if it's through LDS.org, but I think you can navigate to the Temple Square okay. page, and then you can find Legacy Theater, and it'll have the show times. Okay. Beyond that, I know that they've set up pages for the individual theaters out there. Okay. And and you just have to nav- find your way. You know, just do a Google search and find it that way. I believe there's a, a Meet the Mormons Facebook page or and group a or website too, MeetTheMormons.com. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, awesome. So we'll put links to that for the posting for this episode at LDSMissionCast.com. Again, thank you guys for coming in, all three of you, and best of luck with the release. Thanks. Thank you. Good to be here. My thanks to Nicoletti, who's actually still sitting here with me, because now we're (laughs) recording the end of the show. This is such a different episode. I love it. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life came an experience that I actually had this morning here in Orlando. Again, I didn't plan on being out here. It happened while I was in San Diego that this business need came up for me to come here. But a few blessings that came from it. First of all, the fact that Nick was here was really cool. So we were still able to record a show. Secondly, the flight I would have taken out of New York uh, back to Salt Lake City actually got canceled. I flew to Orlando, and an hour later, all of JFK Airport got shut down because of the storms. So there have just been all kinds of incredible blessings. And this morning, being Sunday, I really wanted to go to church and got up. And unfortunately, I hadn't planned. Usually when I travel, I do go to church if I'm gone on a Sunday but I bring Sunday clothes with me. And I had not planned on going to church this week. I hadn't planned on being here at all. So all I had with me were jeans and some very casual button-up shirts, uh, as well as the only shoes I really had were some kind of leather, more sneaker type. That's what I wear when I work. And it's nice, but it's not at all what you expect to see at church, nor nothing I would normally wear. So I was a little bit torn. I 
never want to be a distraction at church, but I wanted to go and at least take the sacrament. So I found the nearest ward building, and I went, and I just sat in the foyer with the plan to just take the sacrament, listen to some of the testimonies, and then head out. And I sat down. It was a, a, a beautiful ward. People were coming and going, and a lot of diversity. It was just neat to see. But as I sat there, people kind of kept walking by and looking at me and hesitantly smiling. And I don't think I looked like I belonged there. I was in this polka dot shirt and jeans and and these leather sneakers. And as I was sitting there, people just kept walking by and they were smiling, kind of unsure as to who I was. But that was okay. I don't always go out of my way either. And, and I sat there and then the sacrament began. And a young man walked out looked to be a deacon, 12, 13 years old. He walked out and he began passing the sacrament bread to each person there in the foyer. There was a family sitting over on the couch. There were some uh, ladies who were standing and talking and he passed the sacrament to them. And then he looked at me and he paused and he kind of shook his head like, you don't want the sacrament, right? And I looked at him and I said, no, yeah, I, 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 I do, I was waving to him, and he went, oh, okay, and he thought I was saying no. And he turned, and he started to walk toward these other ladies. Now, I had gone mainly to take the sacrament, and I said, no, no, hey, hey, over here. And he turned back around and went, oh, okay, and he came back over, and he passed me the sacrament, and then he went back inside. And as I sat there, I thought, you know, if I were in my traditional white shirt or blue shirt or whatever, and a tie and a blazer, and what I normally wear, I don't think that would have happened. I think I looked out of place. And again, he's a 12 or 13-year-old young man, and he looked great. I was just grateful that he was passing the sacrament. But I wonder if I do what he did. I wonder if I look at people and make snap judgments about them. They must be a non-member, or they must not be there for the sacrament, or they must have something else going on because they don't fit into the cookie cutters in my mind as to what a member of the church is. And to see our own church from a different lens this morning was a real blessing. And I would challenge myself and each one of us to throw away those cookie cutters, because when we do, we will welcome all unto the gospel. I have no doubt that our Savior's plan for us is to welcome each and every child who breaches those doors of our church. And I was grateful for that lesson that I got to learn this morning, and I'll look forward to be bang, being back in a, a suit and a tie next week. And that is what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you again to my dear friend, Nick Galetti. Uh, we're actually going to finish recording and then go grab some dinner here in Florida where the weather is much nicer than it is back home in Utah. Uh, if you want to reach out, and by the way, I got some really nice emails this week. Thank you. Uh, you know who you are. Just got some really great feedback uh, on the show. I can be reached, Sean, at LatterdayLives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N, at LatterdayLives.com. Social media, we are on Facebook, and we're on Instagram and Twitter. Go check us out there, and, of course, at uh, LatterdayLives.com. Uh, until next week, where we will have this fantastic interview that we've been waiting on, barring something crazy happening, uh, we will be back uh, and until then, please remember, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. And thanks for listening.